you know, I used to always, well, see, my family of origin, we laugh about this. But it was so sad, you know. I, I used to seem like every year I'd find, I'd come upon a throwdown, like in Dylan's parking lot or Walmart parking lot, because people were so stinking stressed. And I'm thinking, you're grown adults. You got kids around. Don't fight. And do I need to come over and punch one of you so you don't fight? You see what I mean? I'm going to solve it that way. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it's okay. God's going to bless you and keep you, so take your time. Well, I'm here to tell you today, um, I had the audacity once, think about this. I had the audacity as a freshman in high school to tell an Olympic wrestler that I did not think, he was about my size, except for he was, you know, different than me, right? But I had the audacity to tell him, I don't think you can pin me in 30 seconds. <laughs> there ain't no way. Right? Okay, laugh, yes. I just did, but it wasn't my fault that I said that it was really my friends, because I was coming out of the locker room my freshman year, and I was getting ready to go into football practice, right? And there was a big group of people gathered around this grass area. And so I knew something was going on. I had to go over there and see what's up. As I was heading there, one of the guys yells out, Lannenberg! This guy says that he could pin any of us in 30 seconds. You think he could pin you? And I said, ain't no way anybody minds that. I don't care who you are can pin me in 30 seconds. I'd wrestled in elementary school. I'd wrestled through middle school. I, you know, I thought I was all that, you know? And, and so I just said, no, no. I just didn't believe it. And so, you know what? I didn't believe it, but guess what? They had challenged my pride in public. So what's funny is, is that the wrestler came up to me and he repeated himself. You know, I, I could pin you in 30 seconds, in which I said back to him, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. So what do the guys do? We circle up. We get out there. I'm in the middle. All I can say is this. Thank God nothing got broke but my pride. Amen? Because he manhandled me and pinned me in 30 seconds. I wanted to get up, and you know, you know me, you know. I wanted to get up and say, hey, I wasn't ready. <laughs> we got to do this again. Because you know what? I, I think I got more to it. I thought about that. And then I thought, and I don't know, it must have been the Holy Spirit, and I didn't know Jesus at this time, that said to me, look it, you better get out of here while you can and be thankful nothing got broke. Right? Because he could really hurt you. And so I just got up, kind of licked my wounds, and went on my way. I'm here to tell you something. I am an authority. I have the authority to speak on pride. I, I am an expert in being proud. Do I have any other people out there who feel you're an expert of being proud and having pride? Yeah, you all should raise your hands. I want you to know something today. I'm qualified to speak on this topic because I've been proud time and time again. I've, it's been a problem for me. It's gotten me into trouble and got the best of me many times. My pride and sometimes my mouth and I want you to know something. I hate my pride. I really do. But you know what else? I know that God hates my pride even more. And he hates your pride even more. You know why God hates our pride so much? It's because it's the greatest enemy. And it's our greatest enemy. And it causes us to become an enemy of God. 
Think of that. It causes us to become God's enemy. And God hates that because he doesn't want us to be his enemies. And he doesn't want to be opposed to us. James 4, 6 and and 1 Peter 5, 5 tells us that. God is opposed to the proud. So you become an enemy and he doesn't want that because he came to die for you. And he knows you're going to get trapped. What makes your pride so repulsive to God? It's because it fights for supremacy over God. Think about that for a moment. It fights to be above him. Wow. I don't know if I thought about that back then. And pride is not just one sin among many, but it's in a class all by itself. Other sins lead us further away from God, but this one sin is so heinous that it elevates us above God. Pride. Wow. And I hope you realize that of all the other sins, it pale, they all pale in the, in the light of pride. We sometimes think lust is so black and dirty. We think lying is really horrible. Greed or stealing is bad. Anger, and some of us have a real problem with that or have had drunkenness or, or addiction. But let me tell you something. All those things really are minor in comparison to pride. They're minor. They really are. And I want you to think about that today. One commentator says that pride is not just a sin, but it's the sinful mother. It's a sin orientation that gives birth to more sins. For example, if if your pride can lead you to lying, and you tell this lie because you're too proud to admit that you were wrong, or you did something wrong, or you just didn't know. But the problem is so much bigger, isn't it? Because pride doesn't just tell lies. Pride is a lie. It's a lie. Pride is self-obsession. Pride is preoccupation and being preoccupied with me. That's what pride is. So therefore, it's a lie about reality. Pride is a lie about reality. My pride told me, I could beat this Olympic wrestler as a freshman in high school. Oh, my gosh. Are you clueless, Kelly? I guess I was. Because I wouldn't have believed it. And I still think if I had a second shot, I might get him. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So it's a lie about reality. It says I'm worth thinking about all the time. Some of us obsess about ourselves all the time. Or it says... I am worth thinking about first. My will, my thoughts. It's an orientation that wrongly assumes that everything revolves around me. I'm the center of the universe. That's what pride says. That's what pride does. C.S. Lewis said this about pride. It says, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice and sin. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. Hence, pride is what we call the greatest sin. We need to tell ourselves, you want to find the Antichrist? Start looking this way. It's in our pride, and when we stand in our pride, we are the, it's an anti-God state of mind. And we need to tell ourselves the truth about that. The greatest sin. So the greatest sin that is the greatest sin, is the greatest sin at Christmas. We carry that sin into Christmas. It's pride. I want you to read with me a familiar passage, and 
And it's going to show us how pride tried to really stand in the way of the first Christmas coming. Can you imagine? They tried to stand in the way. And this is the story about old Zechariah and Elizabeth. You know them. They're the parents of John the Baptist. They were old people at the time that the angel came to them. And they gave birth to John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner. He was the voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jesus to come. What a great, great story. But pride tried to stand in the way of that Christmas. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. And let's hear the word of the Lord with new ears and new eyes today. Hear God's word. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abihar, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, the great priest with Moses, right? So we have some great heritage here. These are people that, that should know the doctrines, know God, worship God, right? Both of them were righteous, the Bible said, in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So as far as the law went, they were righteous observers of the law. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. They've been childless a long time, not able to conceive, but righteous people, people, but weren't perfect people. And it says once when Zachariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by law, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Something unique happened. Remember Grant talked to us about there being 400 years of silence? Well, that, that, that 400 years is going to be broken right now. <laughs> you ready? Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. This scared him senseless. It says, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, and that's just kind of a nice way to say, and he was gripped with fear. Gripped with fear. And you know why that is? Because angels don't, right, I always say this, don't look like those foo-foo things you see in paintings. All pale and gaunt and little. They're big. They radiate with power. They're messengers and spokespeople of God. They're armed. They're, the, they're a part of the army of God. So they're packing. And, and they're, you know, they're, they're substantial beings, so see that. And that's what, that's what he saw when he saw that angel. And it says this. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Guess what? Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to drink wine or any other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, 
the great prophet, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for our Lord. Man, is that right? Woo! Yeah! My son, that's who I'm going to have. Look at his purpose. Look at the plan God has for him. We waited all these years, and we're finally going to have a son. And not just any son. We're going to have an Olympic wrestler son. That's kind of what, they're getting something great. And Zechariah was awed, and he was stoked. But he wasn't, was he? That's not how he responded. That's how he should have responded. He didn't respond that way. This is how he responded. Zechariah says, ask the angel, okay, how can I be sure of this? (laughs) What? I'm going to be sure of this. I'm an old guy. And my wife is well along in years. Dude, I'm telling you, she's not going to have no baby. It's been a long time passing. That train has been gone a long time ago. This ain't happening. That's how Zachariah responded. Somebody slap him. Slap him awake. Slap him awake. Let him know. You just answered answered God's messenger that way. And look how, I love it, how Gabriel answered him. He's probably standing there going, oh, this is one cocky dude. Oh, this is one clueless old man. Oh my gosh, this is somebody who can't bless their heart. They're about as dull as a bag of hammers, man. They don't get it. And what he said, he goes, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Come on. I could just see him say that. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Let that sink into you a little bit. Zechariah may not have been worshiping the right God, huh? I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And I wasn't sent by my own volition. It was the Almighty on the throne who sent me. I have been sent to speak to you this good news. You're not receiving it like good news. And now... Because of that, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you might, your pride just might get in the way here. Because you did not believe my words, which, were, which will come true at their appointed time. I didn't stutter. I didn't botch. Those words will come true. They come from the Almighty. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Zechariah was learning some things and growing leaps and bounds in short moments. And so they were waiting. And when he came out and he could not speak to them, they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, 
His wife Elizabeth became pregnant. For five months, she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. A different reaction from her. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. What a marvelous passage. How do we overcome pride? How does Zechariah overcome pride? How do you and I overcome pride, this greatest sin at Christmas? Let's talk about that just a bit, because here's the first thing we have to do. Self-deceit is very deceptive. The person who feels they're not proud, because some of us might feel like, well, I'm just really not that proud of a person. I'm just not really that cocky. I don't have a problem with pride. I'm here to tell you. In fact, I hate it when I see it in other people. I loathe pride when I see it in other people. I'm here to tell you something. The person who thinks they don't have a problem with pride, the person who loathes it the most in other people, let me tell you something. Probably 10 times out of 10, that person has a worse problem with pride than they're ever aware of. Right? They have a worse problem with pride. They're a secret pride person. Right? They hide the pride. They hide the pride because pride is so self-deceitful. It lies and it morphs. It shapeshifts. It tries to hide behind things. But it's the motivator behind every sin in our lives. For instance, if you don't think you have pride, uh, I'm here to tell you, 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 you do. You probably have a bigger problem than some of us who exhibit pride. C.S. Lewis recommends these three questions, or actually these questions, to determine how prideful you are. And so I want you to ask those. Ask them in your heart, and this will help you determine how prideful you really are. How much do you dislike it when other people snub you? How much does it bother you? hurt you, you dislike it. How much do you dislike it when people refuse to take any notice of you and they seem to overlook you or slight you? How much do you dislike it when that person cuts you off on the freeway or cuts in line in front of you at the store? Huh? And they patronize you and kind of talk down to you. How much do you like that when people do that to you? How much do you like it when others show off in your presence? Oh, what a show off. How much do you like it? Let me tell you something. You know if you're answering, boy, I don't like that. And I don't like that a whole lot, I'm telling you. There you go. You have a problem with pride. You're proud. You do. You're just a secret pride person. You know? But it's there. Then I would add this. How often, these are some of my questions, how often or where do I justify myself and give myself permission to be a snob to the snobs? You ever been a snob to the snob? I was good at that one point. Oh man, I thought I was so self-righteous sticking up and being a snob for the snobs that I realized that it had to do with my pride. Huh? A bully to the bully. Ah, some are justified in being bullies to bullies. To what degree do I blame God? To what degree do I yell at him? 
To what degree do I challenge the wisdom or righteousness of his word and will for me, <coughs> excuse me, or for other people? Do I routinely ignore God? Do I routinely ignore his written word at the beginning of the day? <coughs> do I do it throughout my day? Do I do it in the daily decisions I make? Do I ignore routinely his word? I'm telling you something. Do you now feel pretty prideful? How many people want to hold your hands up now? It should be the whole room. Because we all have a problem with it. We're all susceptible to it. And the first step in overcoming our pride problem is this. It's to admit we are proud. It's to say, I am proud. Hello, my name is Kelly Landenberger, and I have a problem with pride. <laughs> but I've been off the pride wagon for, well, let's see, uh, 10 minutes now. <laughs> but it's looking like it wants me to get back on it. Um, right? The first step is to admit, to admit you are proud. Zachariah, in his clueless arrogance and in his self-obsession, he seemed to not realize that God and his angel, guess what? They knew how old he and his wife were, didn't he? When he came to tell them the good news. He's the creator. He knew how old they were. But for some reason, he had to tell the angel that. And that God and his angel knew what they had dealt with throughout their years, right? And the conditions of their body. God knows. God knows the condition, you know, of what you've been eating and how overweight you are, Zachariah. He knows the condition of your wife's uterus or whether she has all those parts still. He knows. He knows. I'm telling you, he knows. God knew more. God knew more than him and, and was unfathomably more powerful than him, than Zechariah, and could be trusted. But Zechariah seemed to be clueless about that. Why? Because quietly, the world revolved around Zechariah. Quietly, the world was all about him. And about me being right. Me being in control of everything. Me having it my way. I'm here to tell you this morning, don't be like him. Don't be like him. If there's one thing I have going for me that I should be proud of is that I can admit that I'm proud. <laughs> That's being proud, right? I was just proudful again. That's how sneaky it is. But let's not be like him. Let's admit that we are proud. Let's come to the feet of Jesus in repentance and trust by receiving his word to us. Let's do that. So the first step is admit you're proud. You're never going to get beyond pride until you do. You have to say, I am a sinner. And I have need. Jesus, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. And you've got to come to his feet and know that he died because he knew you were a prideful sinner. And he understood you had to be set free from it. So he loves you in the state you're in. But admit it to yourself so you can get beyond it. And so that you can love the Lord freely and love one another freely. And so that you don't stand in the way of Christmas and stand in the way of God's plan, which is exactly what Zechariah was doing. It was incredible. Because he didn't admit how proud he really was. Well, here's the second thing, though, in this story. 
there's another point I kind of want to make. Even though Zechariah was a priest, even though he belonged to this noted division of the priestly division of Abihar and his wife was a descendant of Aaron, they were both considered blameless. Some of us have those same kind of pedigrees, right? Nevertheless, Zechariah seemed to be worshiping some religious phantom character God. It was a character God that he was worshiping. I want you to think about that for a while. I want you to think about that. He was worshiping this religious phantom character God who operated differently than the one true God and therefore made him feel as though he could challenge the word of God through the angel and made him feel like I'm okay because this God justifies me in judging everyone else with a measure that I don't use to myself. That was a caricature God. C.S. Lewis wrote this again. In God, you, have to, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. He's immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God. You don't yet. I'm here to tell you something. I knew that Olympic wrestler much more intimately after he kicked my rear and pinned me than I knew him before. He was a caricature to me in the beginning. But I now knew his power and ability and had respect for it. I also knew myself in comparison. That was a good thing. It's a good day. Because I could get better and look to come with him later. Right? No, that's a joke. But you see what I mean? We worship like that sometimes. Hmm. Unless you know God as that, and know yourself in comparison, you don't know God. A proud person is always looking down on things and people. I love that, what he said. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that's above you. Right? If you're always right, always looking down, you can't see anything above you, which is God. So think about that. Are you looking down on God with your challenge and your question? It's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have a conversation. In fact, we find out other places where people have those. Mary did. God wants a conversation. He wants us to listen to him with curiosity. He wants engagement. What he doesn't want is us to stand in pride against him and question him and challenge him like that because that means we don't really know who we're talking to yet. Are we looking down on God? Are we looking down on his will? Are we looking down on his word? Think about that. At least for at least nine months, it took nine months for this encounter with God's angel and the word of the Lord to prepare Zechariah to forget about himself and obey God's word in faith. And if you read on in Luke, you'll find that. He did. And he was able to speak again. And he worshipped not this imaginary God that he can control, but he worshipped the real one whose specific promises to him would never fail. And he even wrote a song about it. It's in scripture. Because his heart and his life had changed. And his view of God had changed. 
He was no longer standing as the center of the universe. God Almighty was the center of the universe. Everything changed. So this morning, yeah, I want to go into some other things, but this morning I'm going to go here. The opposite of being proud and arrogant is being humble, obviously, right? Humility, and we've talked about that often, is knowing what your lane is and staying in it. Valuing people in other lanes, knowing you don't occupy all lanes. Only God is God. And so if you're going to be humble, that means you're going to forsake your pride and you're going to recognize your pride because a proudful person can never be a humble person and they never stay in their lane. They're always running outside their lane. And not just when the roads are icy and snowy. Right? They're just going anywhere and run into people and things. And sometimes we think that humility is seeing ourselves as lowly and insignificant, but it's not. As C.S. Lewis said again, and I know I'm saying a lot of quotes from him because he's one of our favorite authors, he observes this again about true humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, and we might have this up on the screen, but it's thinking of ourselves less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself because you are wonderful in God's eyes. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have a lane that only you can fill. You have a purpose God has for you and a plan. And only you can fill it. It's wonderful. And humility sees that. So it's not thinking less of ourselves, but it's thinking of ourselves less. Humility is fundamentally a form of self-forgetfulness as opposed to pride, which is a self-fixation. Humility can set you free because you think about yourself less and you have more freedom to think about God and Christ more. So humility puts us on this path of grace, which pride doesn't put us on, but on a path toward opposition and being an enemy of God. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So important to see that. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the truly humble. Man, that's what I wanted my family to see after Jesus saved me from sin. After I repented and I said, okay, God, that's it. It's either you were, you know, either you've changed my life and make me brand new or I don't come at all. It's all or nothing. And the Lord said, I will, because I realized I was a bad God and I didn't want to be God and Lord of my life anymore. Putting myself in that place of humility changed my life. I had freedom for the first time. I literally said to people, I feel like I can be Kelly. And I told some of our youth this last Wednesday that same thing. I could be me for the very first time. I was free. And I was free not to try to have to compete with everybody. Because you know that when you're proud, competition comes right along with it, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's the truth. So if you're a super competitive person, well, welcome to the party and realize that you've got, a, you've got a problem that maybe you've got to work on because you're pride. Amen? But I know that when Jesus set me free, I was free indeed. So I wanted all my family members to know it. I wanted them to know you can be forgiven. God's got a purpose and plan. Dude, you've got to quit trying to be the center of the universe. Quit trying to be God and trust him in humility and serve him and follow him. And, and go all the way with it. Don't try to hold on and be partly in the world and partly in God. Go all the way. Because it's worth going all the way for. 
and you'll be set free. Look at what God did in spite of Zechariah. He used him nonetheless. He taught him some great lessons. His purposes still went forward. <coughs> I'm sure Zechariah talked about this many times. He said, oh man, you're right. I was just the most arrogant, cocky little you know, servant of Jesus, God, you know, priest there was, but the Lord straightened me up and I'm good. And I think that Zechariah probably had to do what I'm going to ask you to do today. I want you all to stand with me in prayer as we close. Amen. You're welcome to, to, to bow your heads if you want, because I want you to have freedom. But if you want to repent of your pride today, if you want to admit that you're proud, if you want to make a, a, a new break, if you want to get rid of the greatest sin, and you want a new day in your life, I want to invite you to raise your right hand and repeat after me. Amen? So if this is what you want, raise your right hand. I want you to say this. My name is, insert your name. Yeah. I am guilty of the greatest sin. Pride. I repent of my tendency to think I know best. And to assert myself above God and other people. I repent not so much about thinking too highly or too lowly of myself, but simply of thinking too much about myself instead of you, God, and others. Please forgive me for looking down on you, Lord and others when I should be looking up to you alone. Help me to worship well this Christmas and humbly fulfill my role. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our confession, for knowing our heart. God, deliver us. And may your purposes go forward in our lives in a powerful and mighty way because we know that your grace is there for us. You died to set us free from this pride and from this body of pride that tries to keep us down. When it comes to evil, when it comes to our pride, Lord God, make us wise as serpents but innocent as doves. God, help us to be able to stand free of the things in this sin that wants to hinder us and then so easily entangle us, uh, that we might be able to be light, city on the hill for you, that others might come to know you as Lord and Savior because of our witness. We love you, Jesus, and we bless you. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Amen. A few things before we leave today. Christmas blessing. You can be a blessing by choosing to give. Just make a decision between you and Jesus and those that you love around you. Put a check, put money in, whatever, and write Christmas blessing across it, and we will take those gifts.